Welcome back to another episode of Growth Marketers Podcast. I'm Samuel Timothy. And I'm Taylor Rowe. Uh, today we have a new installment uh, in our series uh, called Best in Class, where we explore uh, key characteristics of best in class organizations and, and what makes them best in class. Uh, we're going to dive into sales departments today, uh, and we're actually going to split that up into two parts. So today's episode, we dove into um, you know the, the components of a sales team, the components of a best in class sales playbook. Uh, and really what that looks like in terms of ramping up, scaling, so recruiting, training, um, you know, setting comp plans, those type of things. How do we incentivize uh, those, those sales reps? So uh, if you have questions uh, around you know, how to build your sales team or what, how to structure a sales team, what that should look like, uh, what variables may impact that, that's what we're going to explore today. Uh, please give us a like, subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. Uh, let's dive right into the episode. So Taylor, we've been in this series called The Best in Class Companies. We've touched on a bunch of different things from a marketing perspective. We talked about the, the mindset of a business um, leadership, especially in the marketing front, uh, how they need to perceive marketing as an investment. Uh, we talked about um, a whole lot of things from a marketing standpoint, the technology, the leadership, the team structure, all of those things that goes into uh, what makes a very best in class company and its marketing function. Uh, today, we want to kind of shift our focus from uh, marketing to sales and talk a little bit more specifically about what are some of the components that makes a best-in-class company sales organization. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to look at some of those same components uh, when it comes to sales, right? So let's start with the, the team structure. Um, and I think it's important to understand that uh, when you're trying to evaluate your sales team structure, you need to uh, look at you know your actual sales process and, and what you're doing uh, from a lead generation perspective. And what your market looks like, what your your customers are accustomed to in terms of a, a buying experience and a buyer's journey, and we need to make sure that we adapt, right? So if we learned anything from our um, best-in-class series on the marketing department, it's that we want to uh, be cutting edge and leading the market when it comes to uh, that overall buying experience, right? So one thing and one question that we get a lot of times, uh, especially in the B2B world, is... Um, the overall structure of our sales team, specifically around uh, the actual reps themselves, whether we have a, we see a lot of what we call SDR or BDR, sales development rep or business development rep, whose job is typically to prospect, cold call, cold email, um, you know, go out and, and try to prospect, uh, you know, stir up opportunities find people who might be a good fit, qualify them and set meetings or set appointments for the uh, account executive or sales executive. Uh, yeah, we saw a big shift probably, you know, five or 10 years ago in the B2B space when it comes to the actual uh, sales team structure. Um, and with prospecting and automation tools like Outreach and Sales Loft, um, they were all preaching this model of um, SDR, BDR and, and AE, right? And so uh, the whole idea and the methodology was that the more time that uh, your sales reps spent prospecting, the less time that they would spend actually selling. And the more time they spent selling, they would focus on those opportunities and deals. And as soon as they cleared out their pipeline, they'd have to start all back over when it came to prospecting and filling the pipeline. So in order to have a consistent flow of leads, the model was you have an SDR, 
is all they do is set appointments and then the AE is, you know, having those meetings and then trying to close those deals. And so there's no, you know, ebbs and flows to the marketing. There's no roller co- or sorry, the sales, there's no roller coaster in terms of the, the pipeline and the, the actual deal volume on a monthly or quarterly basis. So we can have that consistency. Uh, I think that has shifted. That model has shifted a little bit. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, we've seen trends in, in outbound maybe not being as uh, straightforward as it used to be, I would say effective, but it can certainly still be effective. But I think you can't, you just like with anything, you can't keep applying old strategies and methodologies uh, to the way that people interact now, right? I think COVID, you know, had a big impact on this because a lot of people are still working remote. Um, you can't, you know, just dial their, their, you know, the office phone anymore, the direct, no one has a direct line at their desk. Uh, and so it's, you can't, you know, even do, you know, direct mail, we see a lot of companies do. So I think you have to adapt from that perspective. And then the other side of it is, if we are a best in class organization, you look at what we talked about on the marketing side, we should be generating a high volume and percentage of our leads through inbound marketing, which means that we are actually educating our prospects at scale. And then we're getting more buyer ready leads that are filling out, you know, our form and a contact form. And we can't continue to apply the same methodology of well, this is a new lead, so let me have a junior BDR jump on the phone and call and qualify this you know, director of marketing who is already so far along in the buyer's journey that it's going to frustrate them to try to get you know, qualification. Like They may have very sp- specific and poignant questions, and they may be ready to buy today. And we've seen a big trend in that as well. So uh, I guess to summarize that, you, you, know, you want to look at your sales process, what you're selling, who you're selling to, does it make sense for you to cold call them? Can you do that? You know, cold call, cold email. Can you do that in a way that is it needs to be personalized enough that you can dedicate resources to just do outbound? And if you can do that and it does make sense and it is setting appointments for AE, then I think that part of the equation makes sense to split up and divide and conquer, so to speak, so that you can have a consistent flow of leads. But as a best-in-class organization, you also should have a steady flow of inbound buyer ready leads, uh, which should ultimately be the goal, right? Because then, you know, you lower that cost of acquisition. Uh, In those scenarios, you should not have a, uh, you know, a qualifier, right, so to speak, calling them, uh, you know, interrupting that inbound buying experience. You should align yourself in that sales process with where your buyers are. And typically what that means, uh, if we go back to that same scenario of, you know, a, uh, you know, B2B tech company, some software company, um, you know, they have all the videos, tools, you know, features uh, on your website, they have reviews, they maybe even had a trial, all these type of things. So they're, they're pretty well aware of what your software can do for them. And they're looking for very specific questions. So calling qualifying them uh, could be kind of a turnoff in that sales process. Yeah, I guess we should qualify by saying we've been talking about best-in-class companies. So these are companies who have a really strong inbound marketing methodology in place. They have consistent flow of inbound leads. Uh, they have, like you said, prospects are much more educated in their buying process. And they're, when they're coming in and inquiring about uh, whatever the product or service, they're much more further down the sales uh, sales process than uh, that you would assume. And the, and the biggest struggle that we have, right, like you 
put a, a very junior rep, that person does not have the real world experience of having talked to hundreds of other prospects or hundreds and thousands of conversations and being able to uncover right very quickly, where is this customer in the buying journey? What are their pain points? And be able to uh, lead them further along that sales process to get them to commitment. And when you put a uh, a junior rep, and you might have you know objections like, oh, they were you know they were not qualified, or they you know they're not ready, or they were asking questions, whatever those questions might be, and then you might quickly disqualify. And what ends up happening is, uh, if you had a very senior um, senior and seasoned person in that seat, they'll be much more likely to to sense where that buyer is and be able to uh, to kind of mirror that customer journey and and respond back to them or provide them with whatever the guidance that they need to move them further along. So you're doing a disservice to your organization by putting you know someone who's junior. And we're not saying don't give them opportunity to learn and get better every day, but you also need to understand that if you're investing into a very strong inbound marketing, you do want to have that customer experience to match what they learn from the website. And you don't want somebody who doesn't even know enough about what you have on the site uh, to be the one that feeling those inbound calls or inquiries. Um, you might just be wasting a lot of opportunities by doing that. Right. Yeah. The, the role of the B2B salesperson is, is shifted and changed over the years. Right. And, um, you know, I would say today, you know, marketing's job is to educate the prospect. Uh, and then the salesperson's job is to facilitate that sales process, right? So we talk a lot about you know alignment, right? There's a lot of talk about marketing and sales alignment, but you you really need to align yourself with your customers because you need to align yourself with how where they're at in their buyer's journey and how they're looking to make decisions. And if you try to force them into your funnel, then you fall back and revert back to the old ways of sales. Of you know you're going to follow my sales funnel, right? Which in in reality, again, the salesperson's role today uh, is to really just understand uh, what this person is trying to accomplish and what decisions they're trying to make, what are those key decision-making factors, uh, and see if it's a good fit at the first, you know, the first point to the buyer solution or work of your organization, and then from there, help guide them and help them solve their challenges, right? The reason they're trying to buy something from you is because they believe what you have could solve a challenge or solve a problem that they have, right? So you need to understand what that problem is, understand all the variables and nuances to that problem and how that may impact, and then help guide them and show them the features or parts of the solution that may be the most beneficial to them, right? And so as you mentioned, if you have a junior person in that, you know, initial call, you know, like we, you know, the old saying is, you know, there's only one shot at a first impression, right? So um, that can be a huge turnoff. Uh, we've seen a lot of companies, you know, uh, lose deals, lose opportunities because of misalignment at that stage of the buyer's journey, uh, which as marketing, you know, uh, professionals, that can be very frustrating because we know how much work it can be to generate that buyer ready lead. Uh, and if those opportunities are squandered because of a bad sales process or misalignment, um, you know, or junior rep, just not having the experience, as you mentioned, to understand and, and read the situation, um, you know, that can, that can cause a huge, huge, uh, you know, divide within the organization. Yeah, I mean, I can give countless examples of, you know, customers who said, oh, we just need more leads. We just don't have enough qualified leads. Uh, but then we, you know, if we just spot check why, you know, some sort of a win-loss analysis and spot check some of those uh, leads that were generated, or if you look at the opportunities, a lot of it is, like you said, 
It's just not having done a very good job of uh, uncovering the pain and obviously um, moving that sales process m much further along by you know having a lot of experience, having dealt with a lot of those sort of opportunities. So basically the, the concept we're trying to explain is kind of the divide and conquer model versus more of like a full cycle sales rep, right? So the divide and conquer is using an SDR or BDR to go uncover, um, you know, Pro, you know, proactively outreach to companies and get opportunities created, hand it over to an AE versus more of a full cycle uh, model where you have uh, reps getting a lot of opportunities um, generated from marketing efforts, and then they're taking from interaction, initial interaction with the organization from a sales standpoint all the way down to, to the purchase. Uh, so that's sort of that uh, model that we're thinking. So what are some criteria that they have to think about uh, in terms of like, hey, which model should we pursue in you know, like what are some of the other criteria that we should be looking at? Uh, for yeah, the, I think the, the first team the, size. Yeah, I think the first one is comes down to, as we said, the volume of inbound leads versus outbound leads. Um, the more heavily focused your organization is on inbound leads, uh, the more I, I would steer away from that, um, you know, divide and conquer model, right? I, I, I think, and I've seen a lot of organizations make this push, but actually bringing the SDR role underneath the marketing department, right? And so if you look at it that way, like the SDR is responsible for getting out and putting the word out. And that's what that prospecting role is, the cold emails, the cold calls, going to events or trade shows or anything like that, posting on social media. If you look at that as a marketing function, I think it changes your perspective and, and changes the metrics that you're going to track and measure. And then when you look at the sales role of that that you know full cycle sales rep, their job is to again facilitate that sales process. So whenever an opportunity is uh, created, it's only touched and only managed by that AE. That's what I would do if you're going to talk about uh, you know, dividing and conquering. I think the other uh, factor, or one of the other main factors, is the size of the opportunities or size of the deals that you're working. Right. So typically, as a rule of thumb, and this doesn't apply to every organization, right, but Typically, the higher uh, annual contract value or the higher the deal size, the lower the volume, right? You typically don't get, you know, those two combined where it's, you know, we're, we're facilitating a million deals a month for a million dollars a piece, right? Uh, so the higher the opportunity size, again, typically means you need a more experienced rep. Um, there's going to be more stakeholders involved. There's going to be more multiple touch points over maybe a longer period of time. Again, these are all just uh, you know general rules of thumb here. But if that's the case, uh, I would steer towards more of that full full cycle rep to build that relationship over time. And again, it's going to take. There's more nuances in that type of a sales process. There's not a one point of the presentation. You know, if you look at it that way, to say, well, this is where we won or lost the deal. It's a lot of small moments throughout that sales uh, process that you know experienced ex uh, account executive is going to, you know, win in the long run. Uh, if you're in a more high volume game, uh, where again typically you're selling maybe a lower uh, price point, uh, that's where you need that consistency of of outputs, uh, where it may make sense to have an SDR or an SDR team that are setting appointments for those AEs. So. Probably depends on that average contract value. Um, you know, I don't know if I have a, a number in mind that, that makes sense in terms of that average contract value, but uh, th there's certainly a role for that and a time that it makes sense uh, for a lot of companies. Uh, but that's one of the main factors I would look at is you know volume of inbound leads and then the size of your contracts. Yeah, and I guess the other factor would be more of the size of the addressable market itself, right? So 
if you're in enterprise sales and you're going after the top 500 companies in the country, you're probably not going to have a lot of um, prospects to go after. So you don't need an army of people that are just sitting there um, prospecting and poking people, right? Whereas if you're in a uh, more of a you know mid market comp you know focused on the mid market or SMB market, then you have a lot more volume of um, prospects to go after. Then in that sense, yes, you're going to probably need still some sort of a divide and conquer in some sense. Um, but if you are like you said, if the marketing function is driving more of that awareness and creating a lot of demand up front, and you are getting a lot more educated buyers coming in the door, then you you may be, you may be better off just focused on really nice seasoned uh, reps that can take the conversation from you know beginning to end. Yeah. Uh, so I guess you have to be asking yourself what kind of a market are we playing in, and and like you said, the deal size would get bigger and bigger. Obviously, if you have if you're going after the Fortune 500s, right? Like you're you're not going to be selling a couple of hundred dollar deals. So then that actually you know almost makes perfect sense like you are going to have larger deals your the sales cycle is going to be a lot larger you're going to have multiple stakeholders and uh, the decision making probably you know probably is much longer all of those things would warrant that you want a less you know less of a complicated uh, team that actually is interacting with your customers um, you know that you have a lot of um, fl you know flow of com communication happening between uh, team members uh, within your organization and also on the prospect side mm-hmm yeah, and we've seen again both ends of that spectrum, right? Where, um, you know, sometimes the addressable market is so niche and so small that, you know, marketing a lot of marketing efforts don't even make sense, right? Like we've worked with, you know, our, you know, consulted with some companies where it's like they are going after certain they're in a certain you know government contractor space, and there's only 15 facilities in the United States that can even purchase from them, right? And it's like that's not the same type of there's only 15 companies like it doesn't really make sense to to dump you know hundreds of thousands of dollars into marketing like there's 15 places like just show up at, the, at their door right i mean you know who the 15 people are you know their address you know the decision makers you have their phone number um so there there's your your you know how the question is always like what's the most effective and efficient way to get in front of our audience and to educate them and if there's if the addressable market is that small it's a very different answer than you know, 15 million or 15,000 or, you know, whatever the, the number is. Right. So, um, that's a great point of just understanding the addressable market and where you fit on that spectrum. Yeah. And we talked about like the, you know, disrupting the buyer's pro you know, buying process and the buyer's journey. We've been on the enterprise software sales side where we work with other enterprise software companies who we partner with and, and to recommend and sell their solutions. And you've seen when the reps change because of you know quota uh, quota difference or market market you know basically like the territory changes and things like that. You see a rep change in the middle of an enterprise deal, and you lost all that continuity in that sales process. And there's so much information get lost, and the prospect gets really frustrated, right? So, you know, as much as possible, what you really want is that continuity of relationship with that uh, whoever is that rep and the internal sales engineers who might be. Kind of supporting that salesperson and all the way from the initial conversation all the way until that you know the signature is signed and the product is purchased and start to be adapted in within the organization so all of those things are you know telltale signs of what you want to um to be looking for and avoiding in an organization to make sure that your customers don't feel like they're just going through a horrible experience and buying your product or service sure absolutely all right, and so uh, just to kind of wrap up, you know, our recommendations or our observations rather about best-in-class organizations from a team structure perspective, um, you know, are there any other points that we'd want to add? You know, how do we define things like headcount or 
um, you know, the types of uh, you know, roles and responsibilities that each of those organizations uh, need to have within the sales team. Yeah, we'll start to get into more like a how do you go about um, looking for headcount in, in when we talk about the recruiting side of it. But again, if you looked at everything that we recommended, it had nothing, nothing to do with the actual count of uh, the reps. It's more about how do you approach uh, the the team structure that you would use to service your customer base, right? Like we're not talking about, hey, you better have uh, 10 reps that are feeding, you know, 10 SDR feeding five AEs with, you know, two meetings each on, on a per day basis or whatnot, right? We're not talking about any of those things. We're just looking at it. How do, how do you market your business today? How do you generate your customers today? Are you going after more of a broader audience or are you going after a very niche uh, customer base? And if so, how many opportunities would you need to, to reach your revenue target? And then would it make sense for you to have more of a full cycle sales rep or would you require more of a divide and conquer and how much of it could be driven by marketing that speeds up the entire sales process overall? So that was kind of our overall thought behind kind of the team um, how do you perceive the team of a, a, a best-in-class sales organization? Sure. So let's move on to strategy then. So uh, what observations uh, have you seen from best-in-class organizations uh, from a strategy perspective? Uh, what does that look like? Uh, what strategies are working? What strategies are not working? And really, how do you develop a strategy? Yeah, I think the number one thing is they do have a go-to-market strategy, right? Like in terms of uh, they're not just waking up every morning and just say, hey, who do we go after and what product are we selling? Yeah, they have very defined go-to-market strategy, uh, probably in, in you know collaborating with the marketing team that they built, right? And it contains a whole lot of things that goes into it. Uh, but essentially, it is a documented go-to-market strategy that empowers the sales team to go um, to, to, um, to tackle those accounts and win those deals. Uh, so I think that that is the number one thing. What goes into a marketing strategy can vary based on a company. Uh, but at least they have some sort of a go-to-market strategy that is well-defined uh, for that organization. That's what, what we see as a common thing in a best-in-class organization. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, for people that are outside the sales world, um, you kind of assume that if someone's in sales, like their day is spent, you know, pitching, right? You're just kind of always pitching ideas, right, and selling. But like I said, the role of the salesperson has changed. And, um, you know, I don't even, again, I don't look at it as selling. I think if you're selling, it's it's you're doing it the wrong way, right? You should be facilitating, you should be educating, you should be understanding, you should be asking questions, um, and you should be strategic. Uh, and so I think if you're, you, what your day really looks like is, um, as you mentioned, you have a process that is repeatable. I think that's the first thing when you talk about strategy. Um, if you look at what your best sales reps are, um, you, know, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't say, well, you know, Sam is our most effective sales rep, uh, but we don't know why, right? We can't uh, replicate that into the next sales rep. So I think you need to have a strategy, as you mentioned, first and foremost. Uh, and then you need to look at things like account planning, right? What are these accounts that we're going after? How are we going to get into them? Um, you know, what is the strategy to, you know, create those introductions, build value? Where is it going to be a fit? Who is a fit, right? What is our ideal customer profile? Um, you know, what is the positioning that we're going to take in our differentiation points, understanding of the market, their competitors, uh, who, you know, who our customers are also looking at and what's important to them, uh, where they're at in their decision-making process or their organization that would uh, lead them to, you know, work with a company like us, right? Like, what is that catalyst to change? It, it's more of a strategic, uh, you know, thinker's role than a, uh, you know, razzle dazzle, you know, pitch that you're going to see. So mm -hmm. uh, I think 
from a strategy perspective, as you mentioned, the first thing is have a strategy and then continuously fine tune and improve that. We talked about, you know, best in class organizations from a mindset perspective. And I think in our first episode of the series, that continuous improvement mindset needs to, uh, you know, trickle down to every department in the organization and certainly not different with the sales department. Yeah. I mean, you've seen business guide that actually sells VP of sales and marketing. Like, how do you oversee two different distinct department yes there needs to be some sort of a uh you know collaboration happening between the two organizations but it's not uh one you know yeah. it's not a one operation right so if you're going to have a sales department that actually operating to meet the revenue goals uh, and the company targets then that department need to have its own documented plan and how they're going to go accomplish that right so if you have it then you know if you're you know if you're off off the script or you're on on script right if you're if you're playing by the same rules that established and the same playbook or if you're just going off script right so i think with what you just described i think if you know if you can educate your customers i mean if you can educate your um internal reps on uh, who's the right cp what's their pain point um what are our our you know differentiators our value propositions um what 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 do we bring to the table that our competitors do not have and where are we weak and and being able to combat those weakness with uh, whatever the positive might be all of those things to be document need to be documented and being you know presented to our reps and and educating them about all of those things like you said if you can't do that then in that process is not repeatable and then no two rep is going to be able to output the same amount of quality of uh, sales opportunities and deals yeah and you know a couple points of clarification when it comes to the sales playbook right we want to be very detailed and think of every you know scenario uh, when building the the playbook, but you can't plan, you know, scripts, so to speak, for every scenario, right? So I think it's more important to have within that playbook, have a framework of how your organization handles uh, sales in general. Uh, and I think a couple, you know, examples that come to mind are things like, uh, you know, Sandler sales methodology or challenger sales. Um, if you have this framework and this mindset, right, then every opportunity that comes up, like you already know how to handle it because you look back to, well, you know, what would, you know, how would you do this within the Sandler framework or something like that, right? So it's not so much as like if a customer asks this question or this question or this question, I mean, you'll never be able to train up the next salesperson to understand that because that leading sales rep that has the most experience and the most expertise is always going to be, you know, so far ahead of them, right? So it's not you know, documenting every possible scenario, but it's building a framework for a process. Again, this is what our sales process should look like. Here's the general steps. It's not to say every client is going to go through that, but this is what we're trying to accomplish because this is what we feel is best for our customer and inbound buying experience. These are the steps that need to happen in order for us to understand, properly assess, quote, and, you know, propose a solution to them. Uh, and then here's the you know framework of how we handle these conversations and move things along. Here's what our qualifying criteria looks like. So um, I would say w- when you're building a sales playbook, it should be strategic uh, and it should be specific. But the specifics on you know the individual minute details need to be handled by a, an overarching framework. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you highlighted that difference because you can tell a rep that actually just, you know, regurgitating what was written in their script and it just sounds very robotic, right? And it's not, it's not natural. And what you don't want is people are only able to just regurgitate it, not able to understand the circumstances behind that prospect's buying 
criteria and their decision making you know criteria and where they are in the buying journey and being able to tailor the message to their specific need right so giving them a framework to operate out of as opposed to like writing every sentence of how to structure every call but you still should have hey what are some common questions we should ask in our discovery meeting and what stage should you be by at this stage in the sales process right yeah. what information should you have do you have the the close date and the amount that they're willing to invest into it the budget and all of those things right who are the decision makers all of those things that you probably need to collect at a different stage of that sales conversation and process those things should be established right so when you're going into your uh, your crm to assess the you know do, do you know deal reviews all of the things that you need to have, it's in there, right? And then yeah. it's very pretty confident that the rep did a great job in uncovering the needs and, and identifying where what are the buying criteria and who's involved in all of those things. But those things, yeah, you should probably have very well documented and out, outlined, but I don't think you want to write for you know every possible scenario of emails and objections, um, which yeah. you know, you're, not, you're not giving uh, room for creativity for the rep to, to operate out of. Sure. So I think uh, the natural transition from there is, okay, this is what our team structure should look like. We need a sales playbook in place. Uh, how do we ramp this up? How do we build uh, the team? How do we hire, recruit, train, get our sales reps uh, ready to you know, hit, the, hit the field? Yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, the common misconception is like, hey, if we just have more reps hired uh, and every rep is gonna just be you know, attaining quota at very fast pace and then we're just gonna hit the revenue targets. Uh, if it was only that easy, then it would have been been awesome, right? We've both been uh, burned by hiring, you know, making poor hiring decisions we've seen, right? And it's not about the time either, right? We've given very long ramp up time and we've made a lot of mistakes on uh, seeing how just hiring isn't the solution. So there's a lot that goes into uh, to really identifying the candidates uh, and recruiting. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, there's probably a whole podcast there in terms of how much, uh, you know, bad hire uh, really, really costs you in terms of your, your sales organization and your company in general. Um, but I think it, that goes back to that, that playbook, right? You need to have, you need to be confident in your process and your, your strategy that uh, we have sort of a mathematical equation, as you mentioned, that if we hire another rep and, you know, pl plug them into this playbook it's going to you know result in you know an ec additional x number of dollars in, in revenue right uh, and i think the old methodology particularly in b2b was like you just hire sales reps and give them no tools and resources right and they're they're just on their own uh and that's where you know you got a lot of those uh the people that were successful there was no repeatable process because it was just well they have all these this network and you know rolodex of connections and they're bringing over a book of business from their old company and it's not to say that 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 doesn't still happen but that's not a scalable solution and i think what we're talking about today is best-in-class organizations that are looking to grow and scale uh and those outliers those one-off um you know superstars that that come in and don't need any resources don't need any tools don't need any tech and can just bring over a book of business uh, those are anomalies, right? So that's not a, a way to build the businesses. You know, let's just win the lottery every time, right? We need a, an actual strategy in place. Um, and the same thing goes with your recruiting and, and, and ramp up. Like you need to find people that fit your culture, fit your system that, you know, you believe can be plug and play uh, with the, the process that you have in place. And uh, of course, you know, people that, that can think outside the box and help you improve that process. Yeah, I mean, especially if you, like you said, if you have that sales playbook um, established, 
then you can see if uh, if a rep is following this playbook, what's an average rep's output could be on a on a per quarter basis or annual basis, right? And you can use that as a baseline and say, well, what is our revenue target? How many reps of this caliber do we need to have to reach that revenue goal? And what is the the reasonable time it takes them to get to ramp up and to reach uh, kind of the average revenue goals per quarter or per month? And then how many of those reps would need to be in place to, to continue to scale up, right? And then number of people we would have to have in the pipeline to hire, train, right? How long it takes them to, to get to that quarter carrying level. So there's got, there's got to be some sort of a planning in place, um, but it isn't just, like you said, hiring the best guy out of, I mean, I've heard stories of, uh, I think it was actually HubSpot's um, revenue, uh, chief revenue officer, uh, Mark Reverse, shared a story. I think at the early days of HubSpot, they tried to hire a really seasoned enterprise salesperson. I think it was from like IBM or somewhere like that. So they thought, oh, this is going to help HubSpot get into um, mega, mega accounts and things like that. But then what they found out was uh, that person was succeeding because they were at an organization that had a very strong brand presence and had massive amount of uh, leads. They were killing their quotas because they actually had, were in an organization that had it all. But whereas, you know, putting them into an organization that was in a hyper growth stage and they didn't have that mar market presence or brand presence, bringing somebody who didn't have that sort of uh, experience working in a startup world couldn't evolve fast enough and, and they couldn't iterate fast enough and they couldn't, uh, in, you know, reinvent themselves fast enough. So that person failed. So it has nothing to do with the fact that the person didn't have any experience or didn't come from a very enterprise sales, uh, sales experience, but they just were in the right culture fit or had the, had the success, um, you know, success metrics needed to get there. So all of those things do matter, right? Like you do want to have people with good caliber and good experience, but that doesn't always guarantee that you're just going to have it, right? So knowing all of the things that we just discussed, like what it takes to, uh, to really get to attaining quota, and then how many of those reps would you need to have um, in the pipeline to, to kind of reach your revenue goal? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, speaking of, uh, you know, attaining quota and those type of things, I think the final piece of, you know, when we talk about hiring a, a sales team and the structure and getting, ramping them up is, uh, you know, having, especially if you're early on in the, the you know, process of building your team is having a very clear comp plan um, that, you know, is both uh, clear and attainable, but also uh, incentivizes uh, your salespeople, right? And so, I mean, we've seen... <laughs> You know both ends of the spectrum right where you know sales reps aren't compensated on you know commission and we've seen uh sell, you know sales reps that are only compensated on commission right and you have to ask yourself right if we're if we're going to find if we're going to build the best in class organization that means we need best in class people we need a players um you know best sales people are selling right so they're they're hitting quota they're selling they're making money at their current organization typically uh, and so how do we entice them to come over to our organization? Well, typically it's, it's uh, you know, income-based, right? It's uh, compensation drives motivation, right? So uh, we need to have a clear-cut path and solution that they can make more money, uh, you know, at our organization and, and a detailed plan of how that happens. And it helps when there's other people doing it, right? Uh, when you have a sales team, when you have you know, other players that are, you know, earning a certain amount of money and you can show them that path. Hey, this is how you can do that. This is how that you can do this for you and your, your family. Um, you know, th follow this process, right? Follow this framework. Um, and that's really what, when we talk about building a repeatable process, um, it's all going to come down to revenue for the company and, and income for the rep. Yeah, I mean, just increasing the quota doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, you know, the reps can actually attain it, right? A lot of times we've seen... You see that a lot, Reps yeah. get desperate, 
because you know <coughs> oh shoot my quota just increased now i gotta work really hard and then they get on a prospect call and they're just trying to close uh, yeah and it changes out. the right it really changes the um dynamic uh in the mindset i mean really the you know and you go back to depending on what methodology you want to follow but um kind of the the inbound buying process if you're if you position yourself as a facilitator you're looking for the right fit you know you're in the b2b you're you know you're taking maybe a more sandler approach to sales uh, you need to disconnect yourself with the out you know, from the outcome of that sale right and so uh the best case scenario would be a sales rep that has a mindset that you know his commission is fully guaranteed right i don't care essentially if you buy this or not i'm just trying to help uh that would be the right mindset um with the obviously real objective of them getting paid on that commission because they're obviously incentivized but as you mentioned there's a there's a breaking point where if you just raise the commission with no increase in you know lead volume or you know ways to get there's no clear path to get to that uh, quota and you say hey you just have to sell more uh, with the same resources the same leads uh, in the same amount of time right I mean the, we're not adding time to the months so the quota is increasing the leads are staying the same or decreasing uh, and because of external pressure the pressure is then placed you know all the way down to that rep and sometimes that pressure uh, becomes very obvious uh, in that sales process and it can can ruin the whole deal so sometimes actually increasing that quota you know actually lowers salespeople's productivity and we, we've seen that a lot um, you know kind of getting that uh, you know you can you can smell the, the the commission breath right you can tell that they're they're desperate for that deal and you can feel the desperation um and you know that's not a good experience for anybody involved yeah i mean prospects can smell it so be very careful as an organization you know how are you know like you said if you have a playbook and you already know what is realistically attainable then stick with that and just don't change uh quota because your revenue targets uh set by the leadership just went up by 20 percent. now you're trying to spread that across your sales organization and say hey let's go figure out how you're going to reach the revenue goals yeah so there's a lot more to come in the best-in-class sales organizations. Uh, a lot more we'll be covering in the upcoming episode. Uh, in the interest of time, we're going to wrap here. But hopefully you've been enjoying this, uh, ep this series of episodes we've been having about the best-in-class companies. So continue to stay tuned. Growth Marketers is brought to you by One IMS, helping you reach new heights through integrated marketing. One world, one web, one IMS.